such a joy. My name's Jacob. If we haven't met, serve as pastor here. Excited to open the Word of God with you this morning. Mosaic kids, if you're heading back there, um, you can head back now. Our team is excited to welcome you. Y muy buenos días, como siempre. Uh, gracias por estar aquí. Y quieren escuchar el sermón en español. Tenemos los radios y los audífonos que están en la mesa. También aquí está el código para escuchar usando Zoom esta mañana. Um, we're going to get into the Word of God and... Philippians chapter 1. Last week we began our series in the book of Philippians and we saw the, the deep care that Paul has for the Christians in Philippi. And today we're going to be learning from verses 12 through 18 of chapter 1 about the reality that, that nothing, not even a person being stuck in a jail cell, can stop our God from doing his work. It's going to be good news encouraging word for us this morning. So turn in your Bibles, Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 18 as we get started. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from rivalry and envy, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your message continues to go out. As we read Paul writing these words some 2,000 years ago about how your, your message was being proclaimed. And now here we are, the other side of the world, 2,000 years later, still proclaiming your same message. God, thank you for, for the faithful men and women who have gone before us to declare this truth so that we can still hear it and believe it today. And thank you, Jesus, for continuing to seek and save the lost, for seeking and saving us. So God, we want to hear from you this morning. I pray that your word would speak clearly to us. God, that we would leave this place with a greater confidence and faith in you and a deeper love for you. And God, as we come to you, I want to lift up Imago Day as they are starting their first church service right now. God, we ask you to have your way in that church. God, we thank you for the ability that you gave us to, to send them out. And we pray, Holy Spirit, have your way there. God, that it would be as in Omaha as it is in heaven. Father, we thank you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I wonder if you've ever gone through like a, a difficult time in your life. And you're like, yeah, of course I have. But in those difficult times, have you, have you wondered like, how could God possibly have a purpose for what I'm going through right now? Because we know that from the story of Scripture that, that God always has a purpose in, in all things. But I think, if you're like me, you can admit that there's, there's some times when we struggle to see how that could possibly be the truth. Remember, for, for my wife and I, as we were going through the, the struggles of, of miscarriages and losing Babies, like, like the first thing um, we felt was, was pain, sad, and, and troubled, and confused, and wondering why, why this would happen, and, and what God 
could do from it. I've walked with some of you through similar diagnoses or through, um, through financial struggles or, or family um, difficulties, family pain. And I know that when we're in those, the middle of those, those difficult, painful moments, it's hard to see God's purpose in the midst of our pain. So what we're going to look at this morning from, from Paul's painful situation is that God does indeed have a purpose even in the darkest days, even in the struggle, that we can turn our attention to him. We can, we can shift our focus to him and our focus to eternity and we can begin to see God's purpose in the midst of our pain. And as a result of that, instead of just, just living with this dread in the present and just sitting around and hoping, are things ever going to get better, we can worship God in the waiting. We can join God in his work on this earth, even in the most painful days. And so whether you come in here in the middle of a really painful situation, or maybe you just came out of a really painful situation, or um, potentially a painful situation is going to come in the next few days, I want to ask you to open your heart and, and hear from God's word this morning. Because he wants to speak. In, in verse 12, Paul starts and he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. So I want you to write down this truth that God has a purpose right now. God has a purpose right now, Paul is sitting as he's writing this letter um, in a jail cell. He's been arrested, not because he did some, some terrible thing, but because he preached Jesus as the only hope for the world. He's been proclaiming that, that Jesus came from heaven to earth, that he lived a sinless life, and that he died for the sins of the world. Jesus went to the cross so that our sin could be forgiven, so that we could all enter into relationship with God. He was buried, and three days later, God rose him from the dead. He taught about the kingdom of God for, for 40 days on earth, then he ascended into heaven where he's sitting now at the right hand of the Father. He's gonna come back, he's gonna judge the living and the dead, and he's gonna set up his eternal kingdom on this earth, making all things new. And Paul was preaching that message telling anyone and everyone who would listen that, that Jesus is the only way to God, but people did not like what he was saying. In fact, they hated Paul's message so much that they arrested him, beat him, and put him in jail. As I was thinking about this, I was, I was realizing, like I, I think I have this natural belief that if I obey God, everything should go well for me. Like, like if I'm doing what God is telling me to do, Life should be easy, life should sm flow smoothly, and, and I shouldn't really have that many issues. But, when I read this, and I consider that Paul is in jail for preaching Jesus, the very thing that God told him to do, I get a bit conflicted, because it doesn't, it doesn't seem to me like that should be what, what he should get for obeying God, right? Like, if he obeys God, I feel like he should not have to go to jail, but then I consider the story of scripture and I think about how at the very beginning in, in Genesis, Abraham hears from God and God tells him, Abraham, go to the land that I'm going to show you. And Abraham obeys God. He goes to the land that God shows him and what's waiting for him in that land? A famine. There's no food. So then they have to go find some food somewhere else. God told Jeremiah, again in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, I've given you my word. Preach my word. So Jeremiah obeys God. 
He preaches the word of God. Whatever God tells him to, to say, he says. He calls the people, turn away from sin and turn back to your God, but the people don't listen. They reject God time and time again, and they, they hate Jeremiah, and in the entire record of Jeremiah's life, we never see people listen to the message that God has given him. We never see people turning back to God in repentance. And then you think of Jesus, right? Jesus um, obeyed God perfectly, 100% of the time, never sinning, and he was rejected, and he was mocked, and beaten, and, and betrayed, and ultimately crucified. So if, if you're thinking about those things, if like me, thinking about the, the story of scripture from a human perspective, a purely human perspective, I think it'd be reasonable to ask, why would we obey God? Like, why would I obey God if all that matters on, in my life is, is what's happening right here, right now, that I need to be comfortable, I just need to be happy and secure right here, right now. Why then would I obey God if obeying God can lead me into difficulty? Or for Paul, why would he obey God if obeying God was going to land him in prison? Because there's something that is infinitely more important than our comfort and our security today. It's the reality that that we and every person in our lives could enter into eternity tomorrow and will at some point stand face to face before God. Even though it's, it's hard to grasp right now, eternity is, well, eternally longer than our life on this earth. And so instead of writing this letter and telling the Christians in Philippi, hey, brothers, I'm in jail, and it's cold, and the food is awful, and I think my life is wasting away, and I don't know why I'm here, Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I want you to know that this difficulty, this thing that, that people would tell you avoid at all costs going to jail, it's actually been good. It's actually served to, to advance the gospel. The message of Jesus is going to new places because I'm here. So church, God has a purpose for your life right here and right now. Even if you're in a a really difficult moment, God is able and he's willing to to comfort you and to use the pain that you've been through as a platform to declare the comfort and the goodness of God. See, Paul is is a man just like us. He has fears. He has insecurities. I'm I'm sure that that he was not thrilled to be in jail, but instead of sitting in, in the cell and refusing to do anything, what does he do? Well, he writes this letter to the Philippians and and he teaches them how, how to live as citizens of heaven. He, he teaches them how to live with joy in the midst of pain. And he, he teaches them how they can be content no matter what circumstance they're going through. But not only that, he also writes the books of Colossians and Ephesians. So three books that we have in our Bible today are written by Paul as he sits in jail. So, so what's the key? How could a man like us, endure such difficulty. And instead of sitting there mad at God, refusing to do anything, write these letters to these churches to talk about how amazing Jesus is. An eternal perspective. 
See, Paul had a relationship with Jesus that was so close that he knew that Jesus and God as, as a good father would never fail him. He had a confidence in the Holy Spirit that, that God was able to work regardless of where Paul was at. That God had a purpose even in the pain. And he would refer to these troubles that he's going through. He would call them light and momentary afflictions. And he would say that they are producing in him a weight of glory that far outweighs them all. See, ultimately, as Paul is suffering for Christ, as he's sitting there in that cell, he's remembering the reality that Christ has already suffered for him. So, for sure, it's, it's easy for us to focus on what we can see and what we can experience on this earth. I know the temptation to pursue comfort and ease. I'm really good at that. I'm really good at dancing around difficult conversations just because I want to keep the peace and I don't want to rock the boat. But as I read what Paul writes and as I consider his faith, I'm encouraged and challenged to boldly stand for the truth of who God is, for the beauty of the message of Jesus. We understand that standing for the truth of the Bible in, in our culture can... Um, get us called names, right? Some people might, might leave the church because we stand for the truth of God's word and, and so be it because Jesus is better and his truth is eternally true. So I invite you to ask God as, as you are in the middle of, of the struggle in your life, God, what is your purpose in this? God, how can I experience your kindness in the difficulty that I'm going through right now? God, what are you doing and how can you use this mess that I'm going through to spread the message of the salvation that is offered to us in Christ? Because we may feel bound, we may feel stuck in the difficulty, but consider verses 13 and 14. Paul writes that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So the second key truth is that, yes, we may feel bound, but God is never bound. See, not only is Paul writing the letters of the Philippians and, and Colossians and Ephesians while he's in jail, but also he's, he's opening his mouth and he's talking to the people who are guarding him about Jesus. He says the whole imperial guard, all of, the, all of the prison security and anyone else who has been around knows that I'm here because of the message of Jesus. So yes, Paul is, is bound, but God is not. His message is not bound. His message cannot be stopped. And, and the message that, uh, that or the impact that God is having is, as Paul is in prison and with the guards is, is continuing but verse 14, it shows us that, that Paul is saying that, that other followers of Jesus are becoming more bold because they see him in jail. I think there's many potential reasons that this could be the case, but, but one of the main reasons that the Christians are becoming more bold to declare the message of Jesus is because they're witnessing the very thing that they're afraid of, which would be jail, in Paul. And they realize that, that even going to jail is, is really not the end of the world. They, 
even going to jail can't stop God from doing his work. And I wonder if you've ever thought about something that, that really scared you and you're going back and forth in that moment. Like, should I do the thing that scares me or not? And you're trying to, to determine the, the pros and cons and anticipating the fear of the moment. We were down at the, the park at the riverfront and um, there's these, these huge uh, slides that are in the, the kids area and you can climb up this, this big structure and go to the top of the slide and slide down the slide and it's really fast and my wife almost broke her arm on it, but that's beside the point. But I was watching as, as these kids were interacting with these parents and, and the kids were trying to figure out, should I go up the slide? Should I climb this high height so that then I can go down the slide? And of course, they're, they're scared. It's, it's huge, but you could see the parents interacting with them and encouraging them, like, I'm going to be there for you at the bottom of the slide. I'm going to catch you. You're going to be okay. It's going to be fun. You should try it. And so inevitably, the, the kids go up and, and keep checking to make sure their parents are down there at the bottom, waiting for them, ready for them. They get to the top, they go down the slide, and there the parents are catching them. And what was once so scary, once they did it, once they experienced it, guess what they do? They run back and they go do it again and again and again. What once scared them now exhilarates them because they saw it, they experienced it. It was amazing. I wonder what if God is making the same invitation to us. See, we see people in our lives who, who need to know Jesus and we're aware of the opposition that we may face for boldly standing for the truth of the word of God. Or we know the right thing to do. We know that what God wants us to do, but we're scared of what, what will that look like if, if I obey him. We, we know that, that God is inviting us to turn away from the sin that seems like it's controlling us, but we don't know what it's going to be like if we no longer practice that sin. See, if we're honest, whatever it is that, that God is inviting us into can seem scary. We can, we can have fear and it can look like that huge slide that is terrifying to climb and, and scary to go down. But I invite you to hear from God this morning just as, as those parents speak to those children saying that you can do it. God, God's saying, I'm, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to catch you. You're going to be okay. You can face that fear. You can say yes to Jesus. You can say yes to obeying him, knowing that, that yes, it may be difficult. Your obedience might get messy, but he's with you. You're held in the perfect arms of God and not even a jail cell can contain the matchless power of God. Our God is not bound. So how can we then apply that to our lives? I think one of the, one of the best ways to consider this application uh, came from our Wednesday night city group. We were we were discussing how, how we can bring God into our workplaces and how sometimes that can be scary and, and intimidating. And um, so one of, the, one of the people in the group was, was saying, like, I, I'm just, I want to see the people in my workplace like God sees the people in my workplace. And I want to perceive when they're struggling and be able to, to step into those situations. And then the next day um, in, our, in our city group group chat, someone said this. Hey, I wanted to share 
that last night I reflected and talked about wanting to bring God into my workplace more. Well, today, a coworker I work with closely shared with me her anxieties and fears of wanting to break her lease early and that she was planning on talking with her landlord tonight. I told her I would be praying for her and the situation, and she was genuinely grateful and happy that I was praying over her. Something small, but praise God. As, as I got that text, I was like, that's not something small, right? I celebrate that story. We celebrate that story as, as a group because what happened was this, this person heard the word of God, Philippians chapter 1, considered how to apply it to their lives, considered it might be a little bit uncomfortable because I've never talked about God in my workplace, but then they did something about it. Something that, that felt intimidating, like, like hey, telling someone, I'm, I'm going to pray for you, and then actually praying for them. Now it doesn't seem nearly as intimidating because they've done it. And that person was so grateful that they were going to be prayed for. It's like once you, once you go down that slide, like you want to keep going down that slide. So I wonder what would look different in your life if you truly believed that God's work cannot be stopped. What would change if you believed that you were at your school and your workplace, in your home, in your office, because God wants to use you in that place as his representative? What conversations would you enter into that you're scared of? What, what words would you say that, that you haven't said before? What prayers would you pray if you were convinced that you are in this place at this time on purpose? And that the Holy Spirit of God is in you and that the power of God is willing and able to flow through you. What would look different if when you face opposition, instead of viewing it as a sign that Oh, I guess God's not in it. I'm just going to move on. You would actually view it as a sign that perhaps this is exactly what God wants me to do and that's why the enemy is opposing it. And if, like the brothers Paul is talking about, the, the opposition actually serves as a fuel to your fire. That the opposition would make you all the more bold, all the more confident in the God that you represent because God is never bound because we know these things to be true because the power of God can can destroy our fears I want to consider the message that we preach about this God now verses 15 through 18 it says that some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill the latter do it out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So these verses show us that God's message is most important. See, Paul was not the only, preach, the only one preaching the good news of Jesus in his day, um, we get a window into the reality that even 2,000 years ago there was, um, there was some jealousy and some rivalries in the church. And some people, according to what Paul writes, were, were preaching the message of Jesus simply out of selfish ambition. They saw Paul was, was in prison and, and so they, they began to view this as an opportunity to, to be able to lead more people to Christ than Paul did. Because he was locked up, 
They thought, okay, now is my chance to get ahead of him, to, to pass him up, to, to be the leader that people really look to. They were preaching Christ, yes, but he says that they're only doing it to make a name for themselves. And at the same time, others are preaching Christ from, from goodwill. They're declaring the message of Jesus because they love people and they want people to enter into relationship with God. They know that Paul is in jail, so they're like, well, we need to be all the more bold in our proclaiming of the good news because he's not able to be face-to-face with the people that we now have interaction with. And so that's the reality of what's happening, right? Some are preaching Christ because they want to make a name for themselves. Others preaching Christ because they want Jesus to be made known. And so what's Paul's commentary on all of this? Well, verse 18 again He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So his response to this reality is to rejoice. He's rejoicing because Christ is proclaimed. He's joyful because more people are hearing about the person and the work of Jesus, and more people are receiving his forgiveness and entering into relationship with God. I think what's interesting here is the contrast between what Paul's tone sounds like in Philippians and what his tone sounds like in the book of Galatians. Because in Galatians, his tone is way different. He's upset. He's, he's angry in Galatians with these people who are, are claiming to preach Jesus. But then he's rejoicing here in Philippians because people, even selfish people, are proclaiming Jesus. So what's the difference? What's what's the difference in the tone? Well, the difference is in the message that was being preached. See, in Galatians, the message that was being preached was that in order to truly be right with God, you needed to trust in Jesus, but you also needed to follow the law. Trust in Jesus, yeah, but also you need to be circumcised. Yes, Jesus, but also obedience to the law. Basically, the message in Galatians that was being preached there was Jesus is not enough. That in order to, to truly be in a relationship with God, you had to perform and you had to keep up your performance because ultimately it depends on you. They added human effort to the message of Jesus. And that made Paul furious because that is not the true gospel. So like, no matter how, how nice the people were that were sharing the message, even if they were the, the nicest people ever to walk the earth, Paul is furious because they are preaching a false gospel. In contrast, from what we can understand in Philippians, the people themselves are, in a lot of cases, selfish. They're focused on themselves, and yet they're preaching the true gospel. The the message that is coming from their lips is the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They're declaring that that all who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, that Jesus is enough. See, the the message is of utmost importance to Paul. Because he understands that, that for those who are preaching Jesus because of selfish gain, if they're just doing it to make a name for themselves, like ultimately God will deal with them. He will judge them as they need to be judged. He will handle them. He'll, he'll work on the motives of why they preach, and yet Paul is rejoicing because at least Jesus is being preached. 
So what does that tell us in today? It tells us that no matter where we go, no matter what we do, we must believe and declare the message of the Bible, that Jesus is enough. The uncompromised word of God, the true gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus must be what we stand on. In another letter that that Paul writes to the younger Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, he writes, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and will wander off into myths. I think we have um, no shortage of, of teachings that would fill that description today. Right? We can find any teaching anywhere that would tell us exactly what we want to hear. There's places that call themselves churches that, that preach messages that are exactly contrary to God's word. There's people who, who claim to be theologians who teach about some, some God that really just suits their own selfish, lustful passions, just a God to fulfill their own desires. We hear messages all around that would, would say, just, just do what you want to do, just as long as it makes you happy, it's fine. And, and what's true for you is true for you, and that's great. So if we don't know the message of the Bible, how are we going to know what's true? If we, don't, if we don't know and believe the message of Jesus, how will we be able to stand firm when difficulty comes, when false teachings are, are heard? How will we be able to discern what's right and what's true from from what's false and deceptive if we don't read the Bible. See, church, the reason that Paul rejoiced because the message of Jesus was being preached, regardless of who preached it, is because he knew that the message of Jesus is the only hope for humanity. Like, he understands that that for people who, who have no idea how to identify, the good news of Jesus gives identity. He understands that for people who have no idea how am I going to get up and face tomorrow, the good news of Jesus gives hope and purpose. He understands that for for a generation who's searching for someone to to know them and, and to love them, the good news of Jesus declares that there's a God who knows you completely and who loves you fully. And yes, the the culture of the day may say that that uh, the message of Jesus is a message of of death, that it's, that it's awful and should not be heard. And the Bible actually says the same thing. It says for those who are perishing, for those who refuse the message of Jesus, the message of Jesus is death because they refuse to receive it. But to all who receive the message of Jesus, that message is life. Abundant life, eternal life, Life filled with with identity and purpose and and forgiveness and the release of shame and the freedom from the power of sin and the perfect love and the perfect peace of God. So I don't know what you came in here carrying, what burdens you came in here with today, but I pray that you've seen through God's word that nothing is wasted in his hands. That he has a purpose right now, no matter what you're going through. That he's never bound that, that even in, in the darkest moments, even when we're trapped, God is not and his message is not. He's able to use even the darkest moments to shine the bright light of his son. And his message, the message that, that we've all sinned, 
that our sin has separated us from God, but that God sent Jesus to live a life without sin, that Jesus perfectly showed us who God is and, and what God cares about, and then he died for our sins, that he was buried, he rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father and that he is gonna come back so that he can dwell with us and we can dwell with him forever. Paul knows that that message is of utmost importance and I hope that you know the same. We never graduate from the goodness of the message of the gospel of Jesus. So if you've not made the, the decision to turn away from sin and trust in that Jesus, to receive his forgiveness, to find life in his name, I encourage you and I ask you, make that decision today. Your only hope in life and your only hope in death is Jesus. And you can trust in him today. And for the rest of us who, who say, yes, I, I trust in Jesus, I confidently trust in Jesus, I invite you to look for him and to ask him to reveal his, his purposes for you even in the difficulty. That you would not let that the suffering that you are experiencing shut you down, but rather that you would remember as you suffer, Jesus, you suffered too. You suffered for me. First Peter says that he left us an example in his suffering so we can consider, God, how do you want to show your grace? How do you want to show your power? And how can I experience your comfort in my weakness? Because I know that with you, nothing is wasted. Let's pray. Father, thank you that that is true. God, thank you that you don't waste anything. God, that you are, are not a God who created us and, and then just stepped away and said, all right, good luck, figure it out. But rather, Jesus, you died and you rose and you sent your spirit to live in us so that now we have a relationship with the living God that is active right here, right now. God, I pray for anyone who's here just going through deep struggle right now. Father, I pray that your word today was an encouragement to them. God, that you would reveal to them your perfect peace in the midst of the storm. God, show them that you are, are near to the brokenhearted as your word says. God, comfort them so that they can comfort others with the comfort that you've given them. Father, for, for those of us who are, are confident that, um, or maybe we're doubting, we're, we're doubting that, that you're at work. We're doubting that, that you can use us wherever we're at on the day to day. Father, I pray that your word was an encouragement today that actually you can use us wherever we're at, even in a jail cell. And so God, while we certainly don't um, pursue jail, I pray that you would give us a great boldness that says, no matter what happens, Jesus is worth talking about and he's worth loving. God, would you give us boldness as a church to declare your good news? Give me boldness, I pray. Give us boldness. In your name, Jesus. Amen.